Chapter 17 of The Heart of Hyacinth by Anoto Etana Melancholy now took up its morbid abode in the house of Madame Ayoi. Even Mume felt the pall of its heavy weight, and went about her work no longer complaining loudly, but muttering to herself, shuddering at the silence and shadow that had fallen upon the house, for Ayoi, to keep out unwelcome callers, kept the shutters and shoji closed at all times, and the house assumed the aspect of one wherein was illness or sorrow. But Hyacinth sought solace among her flowers. She kept sedulously to the back of the house, where she knew she would be safe from intrusion. Along the little white-pebbled paths which she and I had so cunningly planned among the flower-beds, between the twisted and fantastic trees affected by Japanese garden lovers, she aimlessly wandered. Meanwhile, the young American attaché fairly haunted the vicinity of Madame Oyai's house. He would spend sometimes an entire morning strolling up and down the street before the house. Indeed, so familiar had his figure become to the neighborhood children that he no longer was molested by them. He had told Mr. Knowles that he was enchanted by the view of the bay, Matsushima, but since it was too enervating to walk in the heat such a distance, he preferred watching it afar from the pine tree street, whence he obtained the best view possible the attorney deep in the preparation of a report, and opinion to follow his cable to Mr. Larmer, had merely looked up at him keenly a moment, and, marking the ingenuous colouring that flooded the face of the boy, stuck his tongue in his cheek and softly winked. Mr. Knowles was very well satisfied, since young Saunders would cease to complain about his enforced stay in this little inland town. For a week Saunders patiently waited and watched for a glimpse of Hyacinth, but though in his repeated pilgrimages up and down the street his pace fell to almost a crawl when he would pass her home, and though he did not after the first day hesitate to crane his neck eagerly and try to see beyond the bushes and trees in the front garden to the portion behind, no glimpse as yet had he obtained of the object of his desire. The house indeed seemed closed, and but for the fact that once or twice he had seen the fat form of Mume issue forth on apparent shopping errands, he would have thought the house deserted. Once he had attempted to speak to Mumi, but she had indignantly opened an aggressive parasol squarely in his face, the points of which he had barely escaped. Saunders became desperate. He told himself that he had no intention whatever of allowing a fat little servant to stand in his way, nor was he to be abashed by the haughty dignity of one so completely bewitching as was this little hyacinth. Hence one morning in June, Mr. Saunders came down the pine-tree street with a much swifter and more dogged step than usual. Reaching Madame Oyoi's house, he did not even linger, but, pushing the gate aside, intrepidly entered the hostile country. He was cautious, however, and, mindful of his previous visit, he turned aside from the path which led to the front threshold, and made his way softly around the side of the house. His bravery was usually short-lived, and though possibly he would not have admitted it, his heart was thumping, and he bore the aspect of a thief, as, creeping stealthily in the shadow of the trees, he plunged ahead. He had had a purpose in mind when he started, the brave one of penetrating the back of the house. Experience had taught him that the Japanese practically lived in this part of their house, and that the garden, unseen from the front, was where they were likely to be found. Yet he had the natural contempt of the Japanese idea of privacy. He could not accept the fact that in most personal matters of life they appeared to be almost ignorant of the word privacy. His surmises were correct. He came upon a member of the family almost as soon as he reached the back garden. Hyacinth was sitting on the moss-grown shelf of an old well, 
and looking at the reflection of her face listlessly, perhaps unseeingly, in the dark water beneath. She made a pretty picture, as, startled by the sudden appearance of the young man, she slipped to the ground and faced him. Her eyes were wide, half with fright, half with growing anger, and from being pale she flushed vividly red. Her voice was harsh and strained when, after a moment, she spoke. What do you want? This time she did not even give him the title of Honourable Sir. I wanted to see you, he said truthfully. You come like a thief, she said. Is that the custom of the barbarian? I beg your pardon, but really the fact is, I hoped this way to avoid an encounter with your servant. She made a scornful movement towards the house, but he sprang before her and barred her passage. See here, Miss Lodimer, I hope you will listen to me. I know I seem to have acted atrociously, but really— Have you some business to speak to my honourable mother? she inquired boldly. No, I confess I have not, but I wanted to become acquainted with you. After that, an uncomfortable pause ensued. The girl appeared to be turning the matter over in her mind. Then she said, Why do you wish to make acquaintance with me? Simple as her answer was, it appeared to have a glowing possibilities to the eager Sanders. Because, he said, you are so lovely. Do you know, she interrupted him, is it the manner in which your country people address maidens? she asked with more curiosity than offence. Yes, that is, sometimes, when they mean it, and the girl is lovely as you are. But, she said, it is augustly rude to tell me so. Oh, no, you wouldn't think so if you understood. I understand, she said. I mean, if you understood our point of view. Understand it, she repeated. But I despise it. Then, after a slight pause, very earnestly, I am a Japanese. We are not so uncouth and rude in our intercourse with strangers. I wish you would not regard me as a stranger. She looked puzzled. Not to regard you as a stranger, she repeated. No, I wish you'd look upon me as a friend, one who admires you and wants to... to do something for you. But you are not my friend, she said. Then, catching her breath a moment, she added, You are an enemy. I... He was very much pained. He, an enemy to this charming young girl. Yes, yes, she said with some vehemence. You come here into our peaceful home, and in one day, one minute, you break it all up, bring distress and pain upon us. You have no fine sense. You cannot even be insulted. You come here again, perhaps again, though your presence we do not desire. He stopped short suddenly. Her underlip quivered and she bit it nervously with little white teeth. She turned her back half towards young Saunders, and he could see from her trembling that she was on the verge of tears. He could only falter very earnestly. I am very sorry. She did not speak again, and for some time they stood in silence, she with her head drooping away from him, and he watching her eagerly. He knew she was waiting for him to go, and he was waiting for her to turn to him again. He wanted to see her eyes those eyes which had flashed at him so wrathfully, and then had become so suddenly misty and piteous. Will you not at least tell me, he said, that you will pardon, forgive me for, for my intrusion? I am very unhappy, she said, still with her face turned from him. I am not in condition to see anyone, friends, strangers, anyone. You have made me so miserable. I, I pray to the gods sometimes that I might die. She slipped to the ground and buried her face in her arms, the little stone shelf of the well. Now the young attaché was really a good-hearted boy, in spite of his frivolity. 
and the sight of the little sobbing figure touched him. He stood in a confusion of discomfort and remorse, while strange little waves and thrills of tender emotion swept over him and rendered him still more helpless. He was too stupid to comprehend the cause of the girl's wretchedness, and he was very young. Consequently, he actually experienced a thrill of vague pleasure at the thought that in some way his attractive personality was responsible for Hyacinth's distress. But while he stood hesitating and perspiring from sheer excitement, he became suddenly conscious of the fact that someone was coming from the house towards them. My eye came hurriedly across the grass. She paused a moment, startled at the sight of the young foreigner in their private gardens, and she saw the crouching girl, and in a moment comprehended the situation. Poor, simple, amiable, my eye. Possibly never in all her life before had such violent feelings assailed her. She turned upon the intruder with flashing eyes. You come here! You make my daughter weep! You are bad lot! Leave my grounds or I'll have you arrested! Madam Ayoi, he protested, I assure you that I meant no offence, but... Hyacinth had slowly risen to her feet. She put her arm gently about Ayoi's shoulder. Do not speak the words to him, mother, she said in Japanese. He did not mean to make me weep. Ayoi was quieted for an instant. He still looked uncertainly, however, at the stranger. A sudden idea seemed to come to her mind. She went a hesitating step nearer to Saunders, and raised her face to his, while her eyes searched his face. He said, You come to see me, August, sir, or, or my daughter, your, that is. He flushed uncomfortably, but indicated with a slight nod of his head the young girl. Ayoi's eyes narrowed curiously. The trembling lips compressed themselves into a stiff, rigid line. When she spoke, her voice was quite hoarse. In Japan, she said, a young man does not visit a maiden unless he is her lover. Saunders swung his stick uneasily. I am an American, he said lamely. Yes, said Aoi. You are American, and because that is so, your visit to my daughter is an insult. Oh, no, I protest, he said warmly. You came for business? No, but you came to make that love to her. Yes, it is so? Yes, but... Uh... Aoi stretched out her slim arm and pointed to the path leading to the front of the house. The gesture could have but one meaning. Young Saunders flushed angrily. This is a juice of a way to take a fellow's attentions, he said half to himself. Why, I declare, I meant no harm. Aoi smiled incredulously. I am old, she said slowly, and at her flushed, almost youthful face, the young man smiled involuntarily. But she repeated her words. I am old with experience, Mr. Sir, and because I was the wife of an Englishman, I know from him the evil meant by such attention as yours to a maiden of Japan. But she is not Japanese, he burst out. I never for a moment thought of her as such. His words staggered Ayoi. In her zeal to protect the girl from the overtures of this foreigner, she had forgotten the facts of the girl's birth. She became agitated. Her hands fell helplessly to her knees as she bent brokenly forward. With her head bowed, she spoke in a plaintive voice. A humble one craves the pardon of the illustrious sir, but will he not condescend to depart? Somewhat irritated and provoked, Rather sulkily, he turned towards the path and slowly, unwillingly, left the garden.
Chapter 18 A month and a half had gone by since the American attorney had cabled to his client in Europe of the success of his mission. Richard Lorimer's immediate response had been that he was leaving at once for Japan. Any day now, he might arrive in Sendai. In the meanwhile, Ayoi sought to comfort and strengthen the despairing Hyacinth. He contrived to break up their retirement and sought to divert her mind by taking her out each day. The girl had acquired a peculiar loathing and horror for the white people, of whom the little town of Sendai had now quite a plague. The women went about in hideous garments with what appeared to be heavy flower baskets upon their heads. The men gazed at her and made insinuating efforts to speak to her. Hyacinth was sure all these foreigners carried knives because they were constantly chipping off pieces of the tombs and the temples. They were sacrilegious beasts, she thought, who had not reverence even for the dead. Everywhere in the city she found them. Sometimes they were even on the heights of Matsushima, where they laughed and talked in loud voices to one another under the very shadows of the holy temple. She hated them all, she told herself. Most of all, she loathed this man who was said to be her father, who had broken her mother's heart and married a woman her mother despised, and who now sought to drag her by force from those she loved. Yet the visiting foreigners in Sendai possessed a more friendly spirit towards her than she knew. Knowing her history, they were prompted by pity and curiosity to seek an acquaintance which was always met by the darkest and haughtiest of frowns and disdainful glances. When they addressed her, she stared stonily before her. Once, when a too curious woman persisted in annoying her with numerous questions, Hyacinth had raised her voice suddenly and shrieked to a score of little urchins playing in the street. In an instant they had rushed into the road, whence they threw sticks and mud at the indignant foreigner. Whereat Hyacinth had burst into a wild peal of shrill, defiant laughter, and she had rushed headlong into the house, where she flung herself on the floor, giving vent to a tempest of tears. In these days she could not bear Ayoi out of her sight, and even old Mume received an unusual share of affection. The thought of leaving them caused her deep sorrow. Passage of the days added not one whit to her resignation. If she must go, she would go battling at every step. But before the time should come, maybe the guards would intervene and she might die. Strangely enough, in these days she forgot or refused to remember all she had learned at the mission house. Instead she would climb wearily the long way to one of the temples on the hill, where she sought the old priest who kept the fire of the gods perpetually burning, and bitterly she poured out at his feet all the anguish of her heart. She was a Japanese girl, she asserted, Japanese in thought, in feeling, in heart, in soul. How could she leave her beloved home and people to go away with these cold white ones whom she could never, never learn to know or understand? And the priest promised to give her counsel and help when the time should come. And day to day he would admonish, A little longer wait, the gods will find a way. But the days passed with more than natural speed of time. Then came a telegram to Sendai. The lawyer, Mr. Knowles, brought it to Ayoi's house. It was from Mr. Lorimer. He had arrived in Tokyo. He would start at once for Sendai. Then desperation seized upon Hyacinth. Unmindful of the pleadings of Ayoi, she besought the Yamashiro family for help. Now the Yamashiro family had always been ashamed of the fact that Hyacinth was half English. They had more than once declared that if she had been wholly so, a union with their son would have been an impossible thing. Consequently, 
Madame Yamashiro received the young girl frigidly. She considered it both heidenish and rude for a girl to pay a visit to her betrothed parents alone. But the moment Hyacinth began to speak, Madame Yamashiro became so frightened that she trembled. The girl, in a breath, told her of the discovery of her true parentage. She implored Madame Yamashiro to hasten her marriage with Yoshida, so that she might not be forced to leave Japan. But could this foreign father then tear her from her husband? No, all the laws of Japan would prevent him. So rapid was her utterance that one word tripped against another. In her agitation, Madame Yamashiro thought the girl insane. She clapped her hand so loudly that half a dozen maidens came to answer at once. The master, she cried, and never had the Yamashiro servants seen their mistress so perturbed. Not a word did she speak to Hyacinth after that, until her husband and son entered the room. Then faithfully she repeated the words of the girl. Like a stupid animal, the boy's round face became vacant. He stared at the girl, out of a pair of small amazed eyes. He tapped her foot impatiently upon the floor, and then turned to the father, her two little hands outstretched. Oh, good, Yamashiro, will you not hasten this marriage? I am ready, willing, to wed at once, today, this minute. If it be true, said Yamashiro heavily, that you are an English, it is quite impossible. My son could not marry with such. But we are betrothed, she cried piteously. Yamashiro Yoshida! Is my affianced? Oh, you will not cast me off. But she turned pitifully from one to the other. They were all quite silent. As she spoke to Yoshida, her voice was clear and hard. You, Yoshida, you would not cast me off. You swore you adored me. It is not my fault I am English. I am Japanese. Here. She placed her hands over her heart. If you will marry me, she said, I will be Japanese altogether. My son said Yamashiro the elder, will obey his father's august will in all things. The girl spoke slowly, scornfully. I make a fool of myself to come to you with such a request. I would not marry you, Yoshida. No, not though the white people killed me. Drawing the doors sharply behind her, Hyacinth left the house and attended to the gate. Ah, oh, what an escape we have had, burst from Madame Yamashiro. Her husband scowled. Yoshida slowly moved to the shoji and stared out dimly at the little figure hurrying down the path. Chapter 19 I'm sure Yoshida will not marry me. He has cast me off, Hyacinth told Aoi. And tonight, said Aoi helplessly, the father will arrive. The girl pressed her hands tightly together. Aoi laid a timid, comforting hand upon her shoulder. Little one, he said in a pleading voice, pray thee to take cheer. It is your duty to go to your father. You have not forgotten all I have taught you. Filial submission to the parent is the most important of all. And have I not always shown such respect and devotion to you, dear mother? To me? Ah, yes, little one, and I would that I were indeed your own mother. You are, you are, cried the girl crushing down the sob that rose in her throat, and then dashing her hand against her eyes. Ah, oh, she cried, this is not the time to weep. We must think, must think of some way. Yamashiro has failed us. Ha! Oh, who could have expected else? They were always despicable. Try and follow my counsel, said Aoi. Accept the inevitable. The father is coming. 
He is your rightful guardian. Bow to his will and give him what affection you can. I can give him not one grain of affection, said the girl bitterly. Did he not cast off my mother for that other woman? Ah, oh, I have heard all the story. What I could not understand at first I have learned since, and you also. Did you not tell me that my mother died, shuddering at his memory? My eye sighed helplessly. The girl threw herself down on the floor, and, resting her chin upon her hand, stared out before her at the street without. There had been a little rain, and the bamboo trees across the street were shining with the drops which had not yet dried upon them. Looking down the street, she could see the dim outline of the country beyond, the cloud-shaped mountains, the sheen of the water beneath. She turned back to Ayoi, who had silently seated herself beside her. Mother, she said, I'm going away alone. Alone? Oh, you make my heart stand still with fear. Listen, all Matsushima is known to me, and the priests at the temple are kind and love me. If I need food, they will give it to me. Do they not feed even the birds which alight upon their temples? Oh, child, I cannot think what it is you contemplate. I'll not leave our Japan, she cried passionately. It is the only home I have known. But what can you do? I will hide, said the girl. Oh, alas, you could not, for these foreigners are everywhere here. They would find you. Yet there are places among the tombs of Data, for which they know not. Komo and I alone knew of them, and the good priest of the temples Raganji. There is one place, but I will not tell even you. I wrung her hands. Oh, daughter, they will seek everywhere for you, till they find you. You do not know the stubborn nature of these people. Oh, but I do, my mother. But their nature is in me, too. If they seek stubbornly, I, too, can hide as well. Arising, she stood a moment, looking down thoughtfully upon my eye. Tonight, she said, they will come. There is little time to lose. When they ask for me, you will say, she feared to gaze upon the augustness of her parent, and so fled. When they ask you where fled, you will say, only the gods know whither. <laughs>